0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you need a Bible, throw a hand up, and we've got some volunteers that are going to bring you one. Uh, I'm going to be all over the place in the scriptures I reference, so I don't know how helpful that's going to be. But if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. By all means, take it home. Um. The idea of incarnating, putting on flesh, taking on flesh is something that the second person of the Godhead did 2,000 years ago to know the human experience viscerally, to face temptation and to say no consistently, live the perfect life that you and I should have lived but did not and do not. And we cannot be Jesus, not in that regard, and that's not the point, but we have spent 2,000 years of us who love jesus asking ourselves what are the things that we do emulate we do not emulate really the dying on a cross for the sins of others right you would have to be morally perfect to do that but we do take on flesh when we go into a new culture we learn a new language and we learn customs to bring the gospel to a different people group right we put on flesh in the lives of our family. We've asked ourselves, how can I embody the love and gospel of Jesus Christ in my family or in my workplace, in the classroom where I'm studying? And um, today, and in a certain sense, you could almost call this a one-point sermon. I kept um, facing the temptation to overthink this. We thought about and prayed about core values and vision statements as a church some, you know, four and a half years ago. And there are times where, because of that, the answer to some of our most important questions as a church, the answers are just literally already on the wall. Um, If I were to call this a one-point sermon, what I would say to you guys today is, when I ask myself, how can I incarnate in this family, the foundation family, how do I put on flesh to be a blessing to God and to others? There are four really important verbs, our core values there on the left, that are embodiment. Connect in authentic relationships. I invest myself in relationships so that I'm actually worth a darn to you. I can serve you when things are well, things are not well, I can can love you, and I can serve you because we're friends, growing in Christian maturity. This is putting on flesh in the lives of the people around you because if you're not growing spiritually, the people closest to you know it. They, they feel it, right? Our, our sins are kind of like a grenade and the people closest to us are the ones that suffer the most. Conversely, they are the ones that are immediately blessed and they feel it when we grow. They're, I'm just saying there are communal implications to these individual actions. Does that make sense? when we adopted these as core values, what we were really saying is if we were going to oversimplify the Christian life, it would be these four things. I love big words. I love lots of doctrine. I I love church history. You could analyze and overanalyze. I was actually at a church planting seminar. I want to say when I was a youngin', but that somebody's going to throw a tomato at me. I think I was 23. So if that doesn't terrify you that I was 23 and wanted to plant a church, I don't know what else, but we were told as an exercise we were given a big piece of paper and a marker and say hey draw out i don't even know what they called it but how you want to move people what are you going to call people toward actually doing and i like a like a uh, wise young padawan i just stole from the southern baptist convention they had connect grow serve go ah, look at that, look at that. Why reinvent the wheel? But some of of our brothers and sisters who were strategizing that day, they had, well, we want them to be involved in missions. And when they do that, there was this arrow drawn with squiggly around, and then they're going to do this, and they're going to learn personal evangelism, and then they're going to be great in their neighborhood. And no joke, there were church planters, wannabe church planters that had 15 or 18 different things that they wanted people to do. And you know what? They were more honest than me. They were. Um, you know what's not on there? When you have a rich uncle die, um, I want you to give a bazillion dollars to the church. I really do, and it's never gonna end up on the wall, even though I would love for you to do that. I would love it if there was somebody, especially if you know more than one language, I would love it if you would commit to spending at least seven to 10 days every single calendar year in a foreign context, training missionaries or being a missionary or both. I would love that. And you know what, it's not on the wall. It kind of is, but we have to say things in a very simple way to get ourselves to remember it. Connect, grow, serve, go. We're trying to tell ourselves and remind ourselves, this is how I put on flesh at foundation. This is how I'm a blessing to God, how I'm a blessing to people. So with these four things, I'm going to just point toward a scripture and then tell a quick story or give an image. And we're going to call that a sermon. Amen? And then you're going to go Chinese food or whatever you guys do on Christmas Eve. So connect. Connect. I just want to. I just want to ask you to be in a group. Uh, Dennis teaches a number of them. Uh, I lead a couple of things. Uh, Steve. Oh, well, there are. There are just. There are a number. There are ladies Bible studies. I want to ask you, please, 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 if you call Foundation your home, be in a group of some kind so that relationship can happen. I've said so many times in five years that you can. But it's a little awkward in the middle of my sermon to just go, Hey, Greg, I have a question. Especially if the question is intimate in any regard. Like You're you're nervous or anxious about uh, revealing what you do or do not know about the text. A a Sunday morning gathering is necessarily monodirectional. I say stuff, and I don't know what you understood or what you don't understand because we're not necessarily talking back. I just know that when Kevin falls asleep, I need to wrap this thing up because it's gotten boring. So that's what I go off of. I want to encourage you guys to be in groups because in groups, Bible teaching is powerful. Maybe Kevin's my group leader and I'm newer to Christ and he says something and there's part of his sentence that I don't understand because I've only been a Christian for a year or two and he's been a Christian longer. And so I get to just ask Guys, that's powerful. What about chasing tangents? Wednesday night men, Saturday morning men, we chase all kinds of rabbits, and I'm fine with that. You know why? Because if that rabbit is in Scripture and God is calling us to something, then let's chase rabbits. Groups can do things that Sunday morning cannot do, and Sunday morning does things that groups cannot do. Are you guys with me? This is why in the book of Acts, We are told that the early church gathered at Solomon's Colonnade, a space where Peter could preach to 3,000 people at once, a really big space. And they met house to house. This is in the same breath our brother Luke tells us how the church gathered. I want to encourage you. When we connect an authentic relationship, I am now putting on flesh to be a great friend to you. How, how could we really call ourselves friends if we're only ever passing like two ships in the night? I see you before service and I say, hi, real quick, how are you doing? Fine, how are you doing? Fine. I don't know about you, that's just not my definition of friendship. I want to put on flesh for you better than that. I want to be a good friend. I want to ask, how are you? And I mean it, and I'm ready to spend the next 15 minutes listening to the answer. That is what it means to connect in authentic relationships i have time for you i see you i want to know you i want to be a good friend Uh, i want you to think uh, i should have slides and pictures and all that i'm just not firing on all cylinders right now um marvel made a bunch of money with the avengers movies these last few years and um, whatever you want to say about them one thing that is is very um central to the story is the idea of seven or eight or nine superheroes having to gather together onto the same team because the bad guy is so intensely powerful right we've seen that narrative has played out in a lot of ways you could band of brothers th- th- there are a lot of ways heck <laughs> like children of the 90s you guys remember the uh super ultra mega <laughs> <laughs> from Power Rangers. So when when one hero tries to address what is dark and evil in the world and the darkness is too big, multiple heroes get together. And I can't help when I watch these narratives in action films or what have you, I can't help but see the church. How do we read the texts in 1 Corinthians in particular about spiritual gifts where each gift is given by the Holy Spirit to build up the church How do you not look at that and go, it's like Jesus designed us as a community to function as a team where everybody's contribution is not necessarily the same as the other. But Dennis, we keep doing it, right? The cultural Kool-Aid is rugged individualism. The cultural Kool-Aid is to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. But what if I, to mix my metaphors, what if I have blind spots Guys, the most expensive Lamborghini on planet Earth has blind spots. And some of you, you're a, let's be honest, you're a 5-year-old Ford F150. You you get stuff done. Some of you are a 9-year-old, you know, Toyota Sienna. You got four kids in tow. Every one of us has blind spots. What I'm trying to say is we need each other. That quintessential scene in the Avengers, at the end of the first Avengers film, they are standing in a circle, and they can't see each other, because all their backs are facing each other. They literally have each other's back as bad guys are flying around, and this, that, or the other. And I think that's what foundation ought to be like. There are times where we look at each other face-to-face, and we get to know each other better. And there are times where we are in the thick of it, And the enemy of our soul, Satan, is is lying to our sister or lying to our brother. And it is time for the sword of truth to come out. And, And you don't use the sword of truth to chew up and spit out, hey, you're enslaved by lies right now. You're terrible. You're awful. You shouldn't be in doubt. You shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be worried. Thanks a lot, jerk. Right? Not that. Not that. But gently and with humility and admitting, oh boy, have I been over my face believing the lies of the enemy as well. And gently going, man, I, is that true? Just gently pushing back. Is that true? Because if it's not, you're being attacked. That's why we have to know our Bibles. We connect an authentic relationship so that we can be a type of band of brothers, a band of sisters, protecting one another. I, I, I know it's been said a million times, but it bears repeating. When preachers tackle, um, actually, is the, uh, the armor of God, is that Ephesians 5 or Ephesians 6? 6, okay. Many preachers point out that in a Roman phalanx, their left arm is holding a shield that essentially is protecting the man to their left more than it's protecting them but you stand in a line and everyone is safe. There's something to be said. There's something to be said. There are communal implications to the way that we hold up a shield that protects us from the fiery arrows of the evil one, which, of course, we know are lies. So I want to encourage you to connect. Be in a group. Grow. I know you didn't see this one coming. A preacher is about to tell you spiritual growth matters. Prepare yourselves. Practical. I, I just want to ask you, and you guys are already doing it, but I want to build out why this is really beautiful and important. When, when I see the word grow, when I think of the word grow, there are a lot of ways to approach this, so please save the angry email. But the way I'm trying to design ministry here, what I mostly mean on, on this action is be here on Sunday morning. There's so much spiritual growth the other six and a half days a week, so please don't hear, hear what I'm not saying. But here's what I am saying. What we're told about Peter preaching in Solomon's porch tells us that the pub- public proclamation of the word is a vital part of the life of the church because Jesus, who never sinned, says to Satan, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that departs from the mouth of God. And you and I try to live by bread alone. And I know, back to the individualism, I really, 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 more than anything, I want you guys to open the Bible for yourself every single day and read it and study it and cherish it. But our pride will have us thinking that we can do stuff on our own and we do not avail ourselves to brothers and sisters who know the scripture better than we do. Like teaching is a spiritual gift and it is a command all throughout scripture. When Ezra read the scriptures that had been lost to the people of God, There were Levites scattered throughout the crowd explaining to the groups live. Here's what he read. What does that mean? Here's what it means. People were talking during church. Because we have to know what it means that God said so we can submit to it and joyfully obey. I want to encourage you to be here on Sundays because Psalm 119 says the word is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And we're going to proclaim it and teach it. You might hear something in a sermon that is from a perspective you didn't know. Maybe you learned genuinely learned something new. Maybe we are called toward obedience on something we already knew. Maybe the Holy Spirit had something that poured through Pastor Dennis in his admonition to the body as he's leading prayer time. Like you cannot, if you're not going to stand near the waterfall, you're not going to get wet. Your brothers and sisters. Are not just walking into the same room together their spiritual gifts are walking into the room you know what i mean i want to encourage you to be here on sunday morning because the scriptures guys i've told you a number of times since march that almost all i'm doing in my own journey with christ right now is reading and meditating on the psalms because i'm playing catch up i just feel like it's a book that i've not spent a lot of time in and as a good preacher i'm sitting here thinking i want to encourage them that corporate singing is a really big deal and so i go i don't want to just assert that let me prove it from scripture and psalm 150 is the one that comes to mind because i'm a i'm a former drummer and any psalm that says praise him with loud clinging cymbals, like yeah take that one to the bank praise the lord um, but truth be told when I want to make the case to you that it is something unique and special and spiritual to stand and sing of the goodness of God, like practice for heaven, I have too many texts to work with when it comes to the Psalms. The Psalms are not only telling us over and over again to sing of his glorious grace and how beautiful and how praiseworthy he is. Get this, the Psalms are songs of his beauty and his grace and his justice and god save me from my enemies the psalms implicit in their existence the genre that they are are saying sing when things are great and he is worthy of praise and you're excited about what god has done and get this the ones like 88 is really brutal things are tough things are dark you know darkness is my closest friend is how psalm 88 ends you guys love that one You just read that one you're like, oh, my morning devotional was lovely. (laughs) Darkness is my closest friend. That's still a song, and it is a song to God saying, God, if you don't save me, no one else can. This book is telling us to sing when it's rough, sing when it's great. It's like he's on his throne no matter what our circumstances. Singing together, I, I grew up, in the church and what i heard a lot which is by the way very true and beautiful is i heard pastors thanking the lord for the political freedom that we could gather to sing and the more stories we hear of our brothers and sisters in nations where the church is actively persecuted it should stir our hearts to go wow thank you lord we were able to gather without the police rushing in here finding the leaders killing one or two people jailing the rest that is very real stuff for our siblings in some countries, and it's just not our reality. We should be grateful. But I'm not sure growing up in church that I heard of any other benefit to corporate singing besides a celebration of political freedom. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what about our brothers and sisters in North Korea that are hiding? They don't have the political freedom. Why are they gathering? (laughs) They're risking way more than me to come and to sing. There are churches, you guys, many of you already know this, but I want to retell these stories so everyone knows. There are churches throughout 2,000 years of history, but right now in modern large cities where they're in these apartments that are only 12 feet across where they mouth the words of hymns together. They cannot make sound because the neighbors cannot know your gathering. So why do they gather? If they're not celebrating political freedom, murica, there must be value. There must be something in song that is inherently celebrative, different than prayer, different than listening to the sermon, different from giving, different from serving. Song must have its own value. Does that make sense? And it does. We are commanded over and over and over to sing. I do think... My two cents, I do think our entertainment-saturated culture has us in a spot where Satan would have us worry too much about whether I am carrying the tune correctly, and is the person next to me going to find out I'm a terrible singer? Oh, I'm going to be so embarrassed. Satan has successfully duped us into thinking excellence in musicianship is what God has called for, when in reality, I think he, as the designer of a human being, he knows that song is what naturally pours out of us when we exult in something. Did you guys know that Adam, the first human being, he did not go to Juilliard? He didn't. I know, there's a rumor swirling around. He sees Eve for the first time and he immediately composes a song on the spot. That's why you see it written with its own separate intentions. He uses an artistic form to bring praise and adoration to what God made and what God did. So what I'm trying to say is, brothers and sisters, when we sing, be here to sing, because God designed us this way. There's something good and beautiful and necessary in song that, again, is different than giving, different than serving, different than listening to the sermon, different than prayers, different than fellowship, I want to um, draw our attention to the idea of a huddle, a football team getting together right before the play. For those of you that don't understand football because you've not yet given your hearts to Jesus, I want to explain... Man, he gets judgy when he has a cold. Um... The 11 players of the offense, the main thing they have at their disposal facing the best defenses on the planet is communication. They get together in a little circle, about 5 or 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage, and they go, okay, guys, this is the play. Eye contact, okay, got it, break. And then they go, and they run the play. And the defense, unless something breaks down, the defense does not know the play, All they can do is operate off of what they're seeing, where the offense is lining up. And sometimes you have an amazing play. You grab 10 yards, 15 yards down, simply because the play was well executed and the defense was just a half step behind. A really good defense can give up a really big play. And communication is the crux of what the huddle is. And they communicate, unless they're you know, three touchdowns back and they've only got seven minutes to go, they communicate in between every single play. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. How broken, how perverse, and how odd would it be if a football team, if the quarterback says, okay, guys, here's the play, and there are ten men all of a sudden... Good job, quarterback. You are such a good play caller. That was the best play I've heard called in a long time. You're really good at this. You know that? You got that baritone voice, and you just had that strong presence about you. I love it when you call plays. Call another one. Uh, Wait, uh, guys, 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 settle down, settle down. We have to run the play. Oh, no, no, that sounds too hard. We could get hurt after all. You know, the injuries happen when you're executing the play. Here in the huddle, we're rather safe. Everybody here in the huddle is on our team. Everybody here in the huddle sees things the same way we see them. This is comfortable. I'm not preaching yet, so don't worry. You see, brothers and sisters, if we will listen to a sermon on Sunday, do nothing to glorify God or love people for six and a half days and come back again on Sunday morning, we're excited that somebody got up here and called the play, but we didn't do anything. The play in case you're wondering will always be some form of love god or love people always that breaks down toward really large objectives these vision statements here these are the 20 year 30 year if the lord takes us there they're all tiny steps like so these are the touchdowns guys these vision statements these are the touchdowns but again, still within the football analogy, you got to get three yards, then you got to get five yards, you got to get six yards here, you got to chunk plays, 15 yards. To do what? So the big long-term thinkers in the room, like me, we love the vision statements. I want to know from the 30,000-foot level what it is that we're trying to do. And if you are a more practical, tactical person, and you're wondering what are the elders and staff asking me to do as an individual, that's what the core values list is for on the left individually, when people who love Jesus Christ connect an authentic relationship with each other, focus on spiritual growth, you know, how humble is that? I'm gonna focus on my own growth. I'm not gonna be wagging my finger at you. I'm gonna serve God and people. I'm gonna go tell people about Jesus so that they can connect an authentic relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. They can grow, they can serve, they can go. When individuals do everything on the left, slowly we find this entire family is a a step or two closer to the bigger objectives on the right. I know in a a group like this, I've been in the church planting world really since I was 21, I guess. I've planted a church. I wasn't good at it, but I did it. Um, That language doesn't intimidate me, but I I know if I were to just tell you guys, hey, we're going to go plant a church next week, that's terrifying, that's not practical, it's not helpful, These big things matter because they're clearly in Scripture of what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. If it's too big for you, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's just look at the list on the left and ask ourselves, how can we put on flesh in this family? Connect, grow, serve, go. So the Avengers, football teams, and then let's talk about uh, a beehive. I want to encourage you to always have a ministry, that is really, really weird, saying that to a Christian church, because this is the fifth church I've served in my adult life, and every church, sorry guys, if you feel like you're a snowflake, you're not, every church really is the same. If they love Jesus, every church really is the same. And what I mean is, 20 to 30% of the people have four ministries each. And then there are maybe another 30% of the people, which is what most leaders are gunning for, that have one ministry and will devote themselves to doing that well. And there are other folks that, for whatever reason, are not serving. I find we still have some of that, but I find after uh, the shakedown in the aftermath of COVID, uh, our numbers are definitely skewed in the right direction. A number of you guys serve. And even if you're not on a church team and we don't know what you're doing, we see your lives and you guys are beautifully honoring Christ and you're taking care of each other and it's exciting to watch. But it still needs to be said out loud. The healthy Christian life, to put on flesh with each other, to be a blessing to each other, is to connect an authentic relationship by getting in a group Focus on your spiritual growth by making sure you're here on Sunday morning so that you can grow through prayer and giving and song and teaching and to serve because, how many of you guys know, if you do not serve and it's you're just taking in, you're kind of like a Pharisee at that point, right? I don't give. Um, I have um, referenced Pastor J.D. Greer a number of times before from this pulpit. He's an inspiration to me. He pastors in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. His rebuke, which was powerful to me, and I've shared it with you guys at least once, his rebuke for folks who came into church late had nothing to do with timeliness. He he was more concerned about the spiritual nature of music and the spiritual nature of the sermon. And here's what he said. He said, guys, some of you come in to this service 20 minutes late, just in time for a sermon to start because the sermon is where God gives to you. And you were not interested at the beginning part of the service where you were supposed to be giving to God. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. It says, serve God and others. Who here will testify? You've been with Jesus a little while. If you are serving God, somehow you are serving others. Who can Because if you're serving a God who loves people, somehow there's overlap. Somehow. You ask God, God, what should I do with this extra money that I have? And he's going to tell you to serve people. He doesn't need the money. You say, God, I have a free Saturday morning. What should I do? And he's going to tell you to go serve people. Funny how that works. Because he loves the person next to you more than you do. And so his voice is trustworthy in that regard. I want to encourage you guys to connect, to grow, to serve. Um, I learned something funny about the um, beehives' honey production. The part I didn't like hearing is that the average honeybee only lives 28 days. (laughs) They just get replaced so fast that the hive still grows and you don't realize how many of them have actually died off. But I guess somebody, so I don't know how you study this, but somebody figured out and actually measured how much production of honey and, and the wax and the other things that are produced in a, in a hive, how much is produced by a single bee during its lifetime. It's not that much. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands of bees in that thing. And I can't help but thinking... Sometimes, I think Satan gets in our ear, and we all know what pride looks like when we make a big deal of ourselves. When Satan's in your ear, man, you're awesome at that. You're a big deal. Everybody should do it your way. Everybody should think like you. Like, we can spot that, generally. Go, ooh, that's pride. But there's also a self-focus that comes the other direction. You're terrible, you're lousy. I think the enemy would oftentimes like to get you out of ministry because he's telling you that your impact is too small. No, just me. See, pastors are in really a world of hurt. We read books by people who grew megachurches, and then we feel like at every turn, everything's our fault when we don't have a megachurch. (laughs) But that has to do with all of us. Every one of us can be told, what's the point of serving? Bruce, what's the point of making this property look nice? Folks are going to come here and drop needles and trash anyway. Satan will tell you that. Jesus won't. Right? You're going to watch a kid whose teenage years, he's wilding out, deciding he doesn't want to walk with Jesus anymore, and you teach the fourth and fifth graders Sunday school, and Satan whispers in your ear, what is the point of your faithfulness every Sunday? They're just going to go do their own thing anyway. Satan will tell you that. Jesus won't. Jesus says things like, Paul planted and Apollos watered and God brings the growth. Like That's what Jesus tells us in 1 Corinthians 3. So we get to do things like share the gospel with a kindergartner in Sunday school class and 40 years later, if they are not walking with Jesus, we get to keep praying and praying and praying and praying because the Lord is the one who brings the growth you get to know I sowed good seed. I told them God loved them perfectly through the cross of Jesus. And that forgiveness is freely offered and available at any time. Even if they didn't respond yet, I know I sowed good seed and I did it faithfully and I loved them and I served them. And knowing that silence is the enemy in your life. You put on flesh in that child's life when they were five and now they're 45, guess what, you still did your job. You did it well. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to get, encourage you to go. Connect, grow, serve, go. Going is one of the easiest places to see incarnational ministry. I went to a place on purpose to become like you in some way, to communicate that God has loved you perfectly through the cross of Jesus. I go on a short-term mission trip. I train somebody else to go on a short-term mission trip. I finance somebody else on a short-term mission trip. We fund long-term, whole lifestyle, life-calling ministries, five different families, and try to get that funding up as soon as we... Guys, let's pray about our finances. I was talking with some pastor friends last night. Um... We made, a couple months ago, some adjustments. I, I liked what Pastor Dennis, when he got up here and shared, he used the word adult a lot. There are just some grown adult decisions. When the money's a little low, you have to do what you have to do. But are no circumstances should we get complacent. I'm hungry to get some ministries back up and running, financially speaking. And I don't know. Like we, we're, we, don't do, um, we don't do the world's version of guilt. So none of your elders are sitting here thinking, oh, they've got deep pockets, I just know. Like, we're not sitting here going, oh, you know, we we need to wag our finger in somebody's face. But we do believe our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he brings that up when he talks about his wealth and his resources, he brings it up in the context of saying, if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you about it. You cannot meet my needs, right? Or another way of saying it, you can't outgive God. The resources are his. Let's pray, because the elders have talked about it back when we made the adjustment. We don't know of any particular thing that's wrong. We definitely don't know of somebody who's a world-famous orthopedic surgeon who was tithing and he left the church. Like We don't know of any, anything like that. But what we do know is that money is one out of many resources, not the most important even, but it's one out of many resources that allows us to be a blessing to each other and to our city um, Elders were really, really grateful at the start of this month. There was a little bit of extra money in benevolence, and we got to stop and ask pastoral questions. Hey, who could use a blessing this Christmas? Hmm? Guys, if anybody has half of a shepherd's heart, they love having a little bit of money that is there for benevolence and going, who needs a blessing right now? Maybe even the dollar amount isn't enough to move the needle totally, but the, they feel seen and heard, and that the elders see them, and we care about you. Your church sees you, we care about you. It's just a good feeling. It's a good feeling, and I, I've rabbit trailed. But um, go into all the nations and make disciples, teaching them, right? Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always till the end of the age. Did Jesus say that? Here's an important trivia question. Did he say it to 11 disciples or did he say it to his church? Because when we ignore it, we think the answer is 11. (laughs) There was a dude 2,000 years ago, him and 10 buddies, they needed to make disciples of all nations, right? Be the missionary, train the missionary fund the missionary, maybe you're the parent, you're raising a missionary, you teach your child that the gospel getting out to people is the most important thing. People need to know the God who made them. Charles might be our elder over missions, but you know what he cannot do? He cannot take a 20-year-old that was raised by Christian parents and they never talked about missions, never thought about missions, nothing. And then magically, Charles cannot wave a magic wand and shape that 20-year-old's heart that the gospel should go out to all people groups. Charles can't do that. Parents can. Parents can absolutely do that. You want to know how to put on flesh in this family? Connect in authentic relationships with each other. Take your spiritual growth seriously. Like this is a gym, folks, not a cruise ship. This is a gym. Serve God and people. That's how you show up in the flesh in people's life. Serve them. Not so that you feel better about yourself, but because God has already served you by dying for you. And it is now the most natural thing in the world to turn around and serve and go tell people about Jesus. Guys, I need to be really, really blunt and I need to mess with your theology a little bit or confirm it. Do you believe heaven and hell are real places? Our world has so many shiny objects, especially at Christmas. Uh, I I keep telling myself one year I'm going to preach the Christmas passage that's in Revelation 12. I haven't done it yet. But if you guys are familiar, John, in apocalyptic literature, tells the story of Christmas and it is this giant, ferocious dragon trying to devour a baby from a woman giving birth. And we see that historically play out in Herod who's trying to kill all the small babies to make sure that Jesus is killed. But The obvious undertone in calling it a serpent is that this is satanic. Satan thinks he can defeat Yahweh, which is ludicrous. And I'm going to blame the cold because my head is wandering again. Why did I want to tell Revelation 12? It's a great chapter. Go study it there. That's going to be our call to action for Revelation 12 because I don't remember where I was going with it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. And you know what we're going to do? There are five things that you can do. The first one is to go find another church that doesn't care about God or people. (laughs) The second one is to connect. The third is to grow. The fourth is to serve. The fifth is to go. You with me? All right. Cool, cool, cool. Lord Jesus, would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would love you and love each other and love the lost. God, help us to see Christmas as you saving us and as a model for ministry of how we enter into the lives of others to be a blessing. God, shape our hearts and make us humble so that we want to serve God, I thank you so much for how much servanthood is already in this room and is exhibited all the time. We praise you for what you've done, God, because we know in our flesh we only serve ourselves, and so we know that what we see is your work. God, we thank you for what evangelism and missions already look like, and yet we ask you for more in this church. take us to the next place. God, we thank you and we praise you for new lives in Christ we celebrated through baptism last week. God, I thank you for at least one person who's come forward since then indicating desire to be baptized. God, would you seek and save the lost in our midst? God, would you teach us to sing because you are worthy, not just because Melissa put in the work to bring some songs to us. Teach us the value of singing to your Glorious grace. God, make worshipers out of us. Jesus, some of us might be playing games with God and we don't actually love you yet and we ask you to reveal your face to us. God, help us to worship you rightly throughout the day today and tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas. really has nothing to do with Jingle Bells and Mariah Carey. God, help us to worship on another level that you came and saved us and you didn't have to. Make worshipers out of us. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. We're going to watch a quick announcement video here related to the backpacks that just went to Mexicali, and then I'm going to share one more thing with you right after that. Es, mijo? ¿Ustedes también pueden participar? ¡Ándale! ¡Tú sí sabes! ¡Cuánto le dan un aplauso! ¡Amén! Sí, era un lugar donde tenían donde tenían los animalitos, ¿verdad? Eh, puerquitos, caballitos de todo, ¿verdad? Y estos regalos aquí es de la iglesia, el circuito de Sacramento, la Foundation Christian Church dice, Feliz Navidad Dios te bendiga yeah. Yeah. Hola, muchas gracias por festejar con eh, los niños aquí en Mexicali en la Navidad, eh, muy contentos los niños con las mochilas y con los dulces, y, eh, regalos y juguetes y ropa, Dios les bendiga. One last thing for those of you guys that like to read ahead or that ought to so that you get the most out of a text. Now that um, Advent will be done at the end of tomorrow celebrating Christmas, uh, our sermons will be back in the book of Acts. We're going to be picking it up at chapter four. So from very, 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 powerful, cool stories throughout that book if you're familiar. So if you have a moment and you were to read through chapter four two or three times between now and Sunday, your heart and mind will be prepared for where we are headed. Love you guys. Merry Christmas. See some of you guys tonight.